Hello, everyone. This is Patriot Underground here. Now, before we start the show, I just want to say a quick word on behalf of Patriot Underground Gold and PatriotUndergroundSilver.com. You folks have heard me talk a lot about rolling over your 401k and your IRA into precious metals. We all know that the dollar is on its way out. De-dollarization is here. The BRICs are spearheading this effort. Now is the time to make these moves, folks. Click the link in the description and my team will contact you and explain how easy it is. And this will be the best financial decision you've ever made. I am not a financial analyst myself, but quite frankly, you don't have to be to see the direction that things are going in the world. We have a narrow opportunity to protect and secure the wealth that we've earned our entire lives. It's time to de-dollarize yourself and put your savings into precious metals. It's a no-brainer, folks. Click the link in the description, like I said, and you will be happy you did. All right, everybody, enjoy the show. Patriot out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Patriot Underground. Today is December 28th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining me, folks, to discover the truth beneath the surface. As always, I really do appreciate everybody out there taking the time to listen. So tonight, it is my great pleasure to welcome Jim Willie back to the show. He's become a really great friend, a regular on the broadcast. For those of you guys who aren't aware, Jim Willie is the best financial forecaster on the planet, in my view. And I think my view is shared by a great many people out there based upon his track record. He's absolutely incredible. He is the editor of the great website, golden-jackass.com, which is the home of his hat trick newsletter, which I highly recommend everybody go check out. I'm going to put the link in the description. So, Jim, it is great to see you, my friend. Welcome back to the show. How you been? I'm doing okay. I, I really am okay. Um, in the past, I've been very strange. I admit when I'm strange. I, I While well, we had that little pause there, I, I figured out how I am. I'm disoriented. Mm. And this is a war correspondent effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been immersed in this war. Uh, I have not really had a vacation for more than six or eight hours in seven years, um, six and a half years. So I'm getting a little worn down, and I feel a duty to defend my desk. Um, mm-hmm. It's a switchboard. Um, these are interesting times. These are extraordinary times. We are facing a once-in-a-century event, and that is where the global currency reserve is under attack. Um, it is being undermined. It is being shunned. And I don't know if a lot of people understand the word shun. I come from Pennsylvania, and the Pennsylvania Dutch, by the way, that's Deutsch. It's not Dutch, but it's the German, um, and they're Christians. But the Pennsylvania Dutch use the word shun. That means I turn my back to you. I will not discuss with you. I will not deal with you. I will not trade with you. Okay, that is what's going on. And and this really started as a backfire for the uh, Maidan coup of Kiev, Ukraine, that Hillary and Victoria Newland and let's just say the little security the security agency for that little nation in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean. Hillary Newland and that little security M group, they did the Maidan coup in Ukraine, and the response immediately was Russia dumped $160 billion of treasury bonds, 
and began the de-dollarization movement. I really giggle nowadays. I giggle a lot, Patrick. Um, you know, laughter is good therapy, and, and when under fire in the foxhole, mm-hmm. it's good to laugh. But I giggle at the term de-dollarization. Is that not just dollar shun? Is that not just the first half of the paradigm shift of moving from a dollar foundation to a gold foundation for the monetary system, for the reserves, the the forex reserves system, and for the trade payment system? The monetary system, the money system. How is the money? What is the basis of the money? What is the basis of savings accounts for countries? What is the method of payment and trade? Okay, for the last 50 years, it's been the dollar, the dollar, and the dollar. And now it's not. And, and Americans are really slow to realizing this. They don't – this is a really weird thing to say, Patrick, but I, I say a lot of weird things that turn out to be – Accurate. A lot of Americans don't know what money is and don't know what the dollar is. That's true. They don't know what the dollar is. Mm -hmm. I ask people, do you know what the dollar is? Do you know about how foreigners use the dollar? Well, what do you mean? So do you know that it's used for trade payment? What's that? Okay. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Do you know that they, the central banks uh, use the treasury bond for savings? What exactly is the central bank? Okay, that wow! They use it. It's a, the main bank for each country. The, the main, the main general organizing chief, chief bank. Oh, oh. Do you know what the forex reserves are, and, and how the treasure bond is used? No, I don't know anything about that. They don't know what the dollar is. They don't know what its role is for global currency reserves for savings and trade payment. They don't know what it is. And it's going to be a very harsh lesson Mm -hmm. to learn because the lesson goes like this, Patrick. The dollar ain't money. I ask people, what is money? They say, you know, I got into a lot of arguments with my father. He was a very nice guy. He was a very smart guy. He was a brilliant guy. He was a loyal guy for the the flag and the country. But he came from World War II. Mm. I came from Vietnam. Can you think of any two wars that are different? I mean, 180 degree different? Mm. Okay. I asked my dad a sassy question 12 years ago. Dad. What exactly is money in your mind? They said, golly, Jim, what are you talking about? I said, well, what, what is it in your mind? I open my wallet, pull out a $20 bill, that's money. I said, Dad, that's legal tender. You want to try again? And he said, I don't know what you mean. I said, money is not legal tender. Legal tender is what you use to buy groceries, to fill up the gas tank, pay your rent, pay your bills, pay your mortgage. And he said, what do you mean? I said, Dad, legal tender is what keeps the economy moving. Money is not the dollar. Money is gold and silver, and we broke from the legal monetary 
system in 1971. You say, well, I don't don't know anything about that, Jim. It's all very technical. I said, I know. But as we move toward the U.S. government debt default, it's going to become a very big issue. Absolutely. Well, Jim, I don't I think we're a long way from that. I said, Dad, we're up to 20 trillion. Every president since Clinton had doubled the debt. Maybe Bush doubled it from like four to eight. And isn't trillion. it a trillion now every six months? They're adding five. Five. every five months. Yeah, five. Okay. Um, Unbelievable. All right. Enough. Enough foreplay. All right. Enough foreplay. Let's get into it. Well, you know, I I don't know if you had a topic. I mean, I was going to ask you about the Treasury bonds because you've been saying on a lot of recent interviews that we're in this climactic stage right now. And there, there are a whole bunch of different factors, some of which, many of which actually we've talked about on previous shows. But all of these things are accelerating. And we know that primarily because of the way you've educated the Patriot community, that the Treasury bond default is directly linked or joined at the hip with the debt default. And there are all of these different indicators, some of which you've mentioned are the failed Treasury bond auctions and how they're basically using. I know it's a topic you don't really like to discuss, so I'm just going to mention the ESF to to kind of prop up the system on the back end to to create this smoke screen to make it appear as if treasuries are actually being bought on the up and up by the normal entities. But in reality, it's just kind of money coming in through the back. Money under the table to our good buddies in the UK, you know, vassal states like Cayman and now Belgium and now Ireland. They're, They're more. Okay. okay, so let's take it from right. there. Okay, there are a number of really big pressure points that I think I, I don't have this all laid out. It's just going to flow. Um, we've got a lot of banks caught in the middle. We had to raise interest rates because of the economic lockdown. The lockdown attacked the supply chain. This is not an excess money inflation issue. This is a wrecked supply chain or damaged supply chain. We got shortages. We had train derailments. We had food processing plants blow up. We had diesel refinery plants blow up. We had murder of 10,000 chicken hotels. Chicken hotels. They're now killing turkeys in California. Avian flu bullshit. Okay, We have supply chain problems. Okay, so now, given that we had the price inflation, they had to raise interest rates because the buyers would say, well, I'm not going to buy your treasury bond at at 3% for 10 years. Inflation is running three times that. Well, actually, it was running five times that. It peaked at about 17%. The official price inflation, I just checked this last month with respect to John Williams and the shadow government stats, the official in price inflation is, is about seven to 9% off. Okay. It's, it's wrong by seven to 9%. It's higher by seven to 9%. When they do their bond auction, they couldn't sell any unless they raise the interest rates. So that's why we've been getting the higher interest rates. Mm -hmm. There's a lie in there. Whenever you have government spokesmen, whenever you have major corporate spokesmen, whenever you have federal banker 
spokesmen talk, they lie. They lie. They yeah, just, if their lips are moving, they're lying. If their lips are moving, okay, the central bank has been lying. They said they're going to—they're raising interest rates and keeping them high until we bring down price inflation. Well, gee, Jerome Powell, are you aware that you need to encourage the supply chain in order to fix the price inflation problem? This is a supply side problem. This is not your typical 40, 50-year textbook issue of surplus of money sloshing around, and you didn't even pick that up, which means you're a bad economic student. I picked it up right away. When, when we had the economic lockdown, I thought, well, golly, prices are going to go way up. Well, what? Because there's shortages, idiot. Come on. Okay. We raised interest rates, which immediately did damage to the big banks that have been buying treasury bonds, the 10-year bond. They've been buying it at two and a half, three, three and a half for 10 years since we began quantitative easing in 2012. Now, I said back in 2010, we're going to see trillion-dollar deficits for as far as the eye can see. Mm -hmm. And we got it. And they're having trouble paying out on the uh, on the 10-year yields now, too, aren't they? Because the, nobody wants the 30 years. Nobody's touching those. People aren't even showing they're, up. They're, right? they're not even doing 30-year auction. They're having trouble with 10-year auction. They're not. They're, it, it's like they, they have a mix at, at an auction, and the 10-year is almost without a bid. Okay, here's the point. The big point is that the banks are caught in the middle. The banks have had portfolios loaded with treasury bonds for 10 years. Furthermore, and this is not well understood to a lot of common people, the big banks don't just buy treasury bonds. They put on five and ten time leverage on treasury bonds. A treasury bond that was bought five years ago, four years ago, is now down 40 percent. If they leverage five times on that, I'm being I'm being generous, Patrick. I'm I'm leaving out the 20 to 1 leverage, okay? I'm just talking about 5 to 1 namby-pamby leverage. If they did 5 to 1 on a 40% loser, they're down 200% on their investment. They lost their entire investment and again. They put up 10 million, they lost 20 million. They lost everything and did it again. This is what the big banks are dealing with. Now, another thing that most common folk, good people, even bright people, don't understand. The treasury bond is at the basis of a lot of different structured investments. Mm -hmm. They use the treasury bond as a foundation. They do arbitrage. There's one of my favorites, and and this brought out the the role of the repo window, the repurchase at the Fed. It gets complicated and it gets backward when you do the reverse repo. Let's just say it's a money-changing window with collateral and money passed to keep things going, keep things fluid. But back in 2019, hedge funds were permitted to use the repo window. And I thought, what? Hedge funds? Well, you got to understand that most hedge funds are operating under the Wall Street roof. 
Like there might be a hedge, like six or eight hedge funds at uh, J.P. Morgan, maybe four or five hedge funds at Citibank. And these are big hedge funds, and they're managed with the vice president of that Wall Street Bank in charge, and they use Wall Street Bank for their credit. And what they were doing is they were buying treasury bonds with hedge funds in the billions and and selling the interest rate swap and capturing a 30 basis point VIG in the arbitrage and doing 60 times leverage on 30 basis points. So is this okay. where all the billions and unrealized losses are coming from? Is this what we're this is this is part of the picture? Part of it. Okay. Well, if you got 30 basis points, that's 0.3, and you multiply by 60 leverage, you got 20% profit for these hedge funds buying billions in treasuries in arbitrage with leverage. So they invited them to the repo window so they wouldn't be left out, wouldn't get wrecked. And wouldn't do damage to the Wall Street balance sheets. They didn't want to have losses for the Wall Street banks. So they, okay, by inviting the repo, uh, the, the hedge funds to the repo window, what they did was they revealed what the Wall Street hedge funds were doing that required their invitation and inclusion to the repo window. This is very big. <clears throat> All right. You've got all kinds of big banks. You've got all kinds of different bond purchases. The major item is the treasury bond. And, and just think, if you're a vice president and you've got other, 15 other vice presidents at your major Wall Street bank and you have a decision, well, should we load on five to one leverage on these treasuries? We're making a lot of money. We'll get good bonuses. Of course they do it. Now they got trapped. They got trapped by their own greed and their own abuse of leverage. Leverage means borrowing money, buying a bond on margin, buying five times your capital in treasury bonds. Okay, <clears throat> that is the bulk of your unrealized losses that are now at $700 billion for the banking system. And that's just for those who are registered with the FDIC. So it's a low figure, but it's not way low. I'm guessing we're over 800 billion right now. Wow. Okay. Now, there's another big point, and that is foreigners are following the de-dollarization route. Okay. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and in doing so, they're taking their lead from China and Russia. And as a result, they're lowering their treasury bond holdings at their central banks. <clears throat> they're dumping. They're selling a lot. This past month in October, it gets recorded a couple of months late. The October month wasn't that horrible. It was only like 40 billion net sales. But September was record. It was way up there. I don't have the exact number, but it set a record. So foreign central banks are dumping treasuries, including our friends, our allies, like France, like Nor Norway. Okay, th this is not typical. France never in the last 30 years sold a bunch of treasuries. 
when they're selling the treasuries, they're buying gold. They're de-dollarizing, but the rest of the sentence is they're selling treasuries in order to buy gold. You don't just sell treasuries and say, well, I'm done. No, the other half of the task is to do something to build up a more stable and firm monetary basis and foundation, which you use later for your your forex or or your you know your it's not going to be forex reserves anymore. It's going to be central bank reserves. It's not going to be trade payment in dollar treasury bill. It's going to be trade payment in something that's probably gold related. Whew. Okay. I've been asking the question for two months, and a month ago I got the answer from just within my own head because I, I read an article about convexity. Now, for those who have a little bit of math Mac background, a convex curve slopes up. It's not linear. It's not a line. It slopes up like y equals x squared. The parabola slopes up. The exponential slopes up. That's convex. Right. All right. I first heard the term convexity about 10 or 12 years ago. It had to do with leveraged bond holdings being unwound. Are we in that environment now? Hell yeah. Okay. There's a reason why they're not selling their unrealized losses for bonds. First is a prayer, a wing and a prayer. They want a bond rally so they can get out from under their losses and save face and save their jobs. But I got news for them. You'll be lucky to get even a third of the way back to your original book value. That mm -hmm. I just don't think a third of the way is, is very that's, – that's a big hope. Okay. If let's just say Bank of America gets in trouble, they're, they're short on some of their narcotics money laundering flow. And if you think it's small, you're nuts. It's big. Mm -hmm. If Bank of America decides we need to do something, we need to do it fast. Um, we're going to start selling some of our treasury bonds and we're going to take some losses. We've we got to take some losses because we need the cash. We're desperate for cash. We don't want to sell. We've already sold a couple of really good properties. We already sold some other assets. We sold some foreign assets. And now we're, we're kind of stuck. We need to sell some treasuries. We're not going to sell all. We're not even going to sell a big bunch. We're going to sell some. It, it starts a snowball. The bond yields start to rise. Mm-hmm. Other banks realize we're in trouble too. We better start selling also. And after a while, it becomes a chorus of sellers. If we ever get to that, we're not going to be looking at 5%, 6%, 10-year yield. We're going to be looking at 8 and 10% yield. As a result, they're not selling their treasury bonds. As a result, they've pressured the Fed to cut rates. In the last two or three weeks, Fed Chair Powell has announced 
2024, we've got in mind about three rate cuts. It is the pivot that's been debated for many months. Powell has lost credibility. I had it laid out <laughs> in, in a chapter I was working on this afternoon. Uh, in, in October and November, we're working toward – we're going to continue the course until – uh, price inflation comes down. We haven't met our target yet. Um, no, we're not. We're not ready yet to cut rates. Um, and then suddenly, well, rates—it was never really a big issue. Of course, now we're going to cut three times next year. Oh my gosh, they've lost their credibility. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, I don't care what these idiots say. What I care about is implications. What I care about is what is really happening to force them to say what they're saying. I don't say, well, gosh, so they're going to drop the rates three times next year. That's great. What's for lunch? No, 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 no. What are they doing? What was their – what did they weigh, this versus this? They're weighing a bond market disaster from foreign dumping – you know, you sell something, the rate goes up. Right. You have too much supply, like deficits, the rate goes up. You have an absence of buyers, the rate goes up. Okay, so they were facing a disastrous risk on the bond default. And now, have you noticed that in the last two weeks since Powell admitted the rate cuts, have you noticed that the dollar has gone down? Mm-hmm. That's the other side. What are we going to do? Bond or dollar? What are we going to do? Well, the risk for the bond went up, up, up. And if the bond exploded, it wouldn't just do damage to the dollar. It would eliminate the dollar. Mm -hmm. So now they're doing kind of a, a, a risky game. Let, let's talk nice. Talk about rate cuts. We'll get a benefit from a stock market rally which helps anybody who's got like a trust fund. But the dollar's going down. Now we got the risk for the dollar. It's starting to appear. And, you know, I, I got one, an email yesterday from someone who said, Jim, have you noticed that the, uh, the U.S. dollar index has gone down? I wonder if 90 will be its bottom. I haven't checked to see what it is, it is the last couple of days. I will. But he said, you think 90 will hold? I wonder if 70 will. Okay, That would be a, an absolute disaster causing a problem for the United States economy where nothing imported would be bought. Okay, So they've removed, in the very short term, the bond risk. They've added a currency dollar risk. I got an email three weeks ago from a friend of mine who did a, a Vancouver to Mexico cruise liner trip. And he took pictures of Long Beach, Patrick. It's empty. The Long Beach port, the biggest port facility in the United States, bigger than Houston, bigger than Savannah, bigger than Oakland, Bigger than Seattle, 
It's empty. What's going on? I say the Treasury bill has been rejected for trade payment. Mm -hmm. Didn't you say something about them uh, they're taking crude oil payments as well? I think I heard you mention Yeah, that. I was going to get to that right away. Glad you brought that up because it was coming. Um, the United States cannot pay for trade now with paper. Right. Okay, there's a joke. They say we've been having these hard goods come in for 30 years, and all we do is we give them paper with ink on them. Right. That's not going to fly anymore. Mm-hmm. It was about three weeks ago, maybe a little more, there was an, un, an unusually high record number of super oil tankers at U.S. ports. A lot of analysts were wondering, well, what's going on? We must be exporting. must be really good for the oil industry. They didn't think it through. No, that's not the answer. Of course it's good for the oil industry, and that's Rockefeller City. It means the Treasury bill is rejected. We're having to get credit by means of oil tanker shipments. We ship to a foreign country and we get a credit for the next couple of months for imports. This is a kind of a transitional shift to hard asset backing for trade, not for the monetary system, for trade payments. Okay, this is going to get really interesting. Okay, there's a lot more to do with what's going on with the Treasury bond market. As a result of the Treasury bonds being rejected for payment, sold in high volume by foreign countries, including allies, and having an unspeakable amount of uh, deficits, okay, Quickly, just very quick lesson. I don't mean to talk down to people, but once in a while I hear, Jim, I don't understand the, the, the connection between the treasury bond and the government debt. I, I don't get that. Okay, the government has a debt. We run a deficit, and quarterly or monthly we have to fund it. We fund it by securitizing the debt. We create a treasury bond. We put it out on an auction. We get a buyer. We get funds, and that covers our deficit. The Treasury bond is a securitization of government debt that pays for deficits on a, a weekly, monthly basis. Right. <clears throat> oh, boy. I have to write notes to myself so I, I keep my flow right. Um, You're doing great. This is, this is tiring. Um. Foreigners have let it be known we're not going to fund your treasury bonds. We're not going to fund your government debt. We've got to resort to monetization. We have to print money to cover our debt. It means we're going to get, unless we've got a white knight in the background, like the ESF, which I'd rather not talk about. It's just called the back door to the Fed. If the back door to the Fed does not take in these treasury bonds in multi-trillion volume eventually, we're going to see price inflation double what we saw at the worst in 2021. What I'm saying is if we don't get a white knight to buy and cover 
the dumped foreign treasury bonds, we're going to see 25 to 30% price inflation in the United States. We've already seen that in isolated areas. Like I got a, an Arizona buddy. He, he's a nice guy. He's a client. He's been a client for a long time now. And he said, Jim, a loaf of bread used to be two bucks. Now it's five and seven, depending on the type of bread. Okay, we've already got 200% price inflation in very select items. Mm -hmm. We've already seen in, in plywood a three and four hundred percent price inflation. Mm -hmm. We've already seen PVC piping with an equal, very high price inflation. Each one has a supply issue. It's not too much money chasing the goods. It's a supply shortage. And Jerome Powell, you're either stupid or you refuse to admit it for bond security reasons. We are at risk of very severe price inflation because of our inability to cover our debt. And that does not address the import problem that we might in the very short term cover with crude oil super tankers. Ah. Okay. Now let me get to the issue that I think is going to break the back. All right. In the last three, four, five years, maybe more, maybe seven years, foreigners have been telling the U.S. government, we really don't want to buy your 10-year bond. You got to shorten the maturity, and we'll 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 buy we'll buy some. So they shorten. They they have a lot more short end maturity bonds now. They're called bills. I mean, like one year, two year, five year. Okay, they're called bills. I think the five year is actually called a note. I don't care. I call short term bill, long term bond. I don't care about their official name. I keep things simple. In the last several years, keep it vague, keep it general. Because of the distrust of the integrity for the U.S. government to run up huge bills and deficits, and don't ever forget that war uh, is a big deficit, okay? Uh, don't ever forget that there's $800 billion in the current budget for the defense, and defense has turned offensive. We're not defensive in NATO. Okay. What they've done in shortening the maturity is they've left ourselves vulnerable. Okay. Imagine in 2018, you say, well, we're going to have to put in a lot more at five year, five year maturity. Well, what's 2018 plus five? We're here. Okay. It's, it's now. In 2019, 2020, they had. Two years. They had three years. I, I don't know if there's a three year. I don't know. I don't care. They've got all kinds of maturity um, levels. Well, how does it ring out? Now that we're in the present, what are we facing? Trillions, well, in, trillions in debt, I would think, right? We've got to roll over $7 trillion and fund it in the next 12 months. From the past. Wait, there's no way they can pull that off, I don't think. Okay. J j let's just be conservative and say we got a trillion and a half that we need to fund this year for the current deficit. It's going to be closer to two, but let's call it a trillion and a half. 
Add a trillion and a half to seven, you got eight and a half trillion. Divide by 12, you got 700 billion a month you right. need to fund. We're having trouble with 100 and 120. We're going to have to monetize or we're going to have to have the rear guard for the Fed cover it. Now, Rob Kirby was murdered for bringing a lot of emphasis to the exchange stabilization fund. It was about six months I remember the conversation vividly. He was a very colorful guy. He talked a bit like a professor. He liked to teach. He liked to explain. And he was on Greg Hunter's show several times before he was murdered. Let's not say he died. No, he was murdered by Remdesivir in the Toronto hospitals after his family said, do not put Remdesivir on the chart for treatment. Okay. Kidney failure, respirator, dead in 24 hours. We had a conversation about six months before he died. It was a, like a year and a half ago. And he said, Jim, I think the ESF, I don't think it has five, seven trillion in it. I think it has probably 15 trillion, maybe 20. But let's just say 10 to 20 trillion. And I said, where'd that come from, Rob? My understanding is that when OPEC, over a 50-year period, when OPEC sold oil and kept them in treasuries, there was a 25% tax that went to the ESF. And Rob said, that makes perfect sense. I believe that's about right. Could be 20%, could be 25%. But notice that, that we blamed the Saudis for 9-11 and we held $5 billion. No, no, sorry. Was it 5 or $50 billion? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I think it was $50 billion of Saudi treasury bonds that we did not give back. And, and we, we hinted, because we're not really explicit when it comes to the ESF. We hinted that it was being put to use, which means it was at work rigging financial markets, supporting the stability Exchange Stability Fund. Okay, mm -hmm. so I reason that a lot of treasury bonds are being dumped. And, and you know, there's, I, I got into a, a little discussion with a client and said, he said to me, Jim, the U.S. government doesn't have to take them back. I said, of course they do. They issued them. The Treasury Department has to buy back a treasury bond sold by France. Or sold by the United Arab Emirates. They have to buy it back. They issued it. It's re return to sender. Okay. It's return to issuer. Refunded by issuer. <clears throat> when they do that, I have a basic question to ask. And I might have asked this a month ago, but I love the rhetorical question. And we'll make it a real question. If the Fed had been forced to take in all kinds of treasury bonds sold by friend and ally alike, among foreign central banks and sovereign wealth funds, how did the Fed reduce its balance sheet? The ESF. ESF. Absolutely. It, it's, it's like the only explanatory variable. So really, that's, what's, that's their lifeblood right now. That's what's keeping them afloat. Okay. Let me now bring into the equation an ugly factor. Let's just say that the back door of the Fed has – an available kitty. I, I don't like talking about this in plain terms, Patrick. This is dangerous stuff. But if they've got a big kitty and it's like 
17 trillion and they've already used 1 trillion in the last couple of years they're thinking we had 18 now we got 17 at the current rate of events if we don't cut interest rates we're going to get depleted in our rear guard fund so let's cut rates let's put pressure on the fed and remember the new york fed basically calls the show runs the show mm-hmm. here's the ugly part if we get a dollar problem we're going to stop cutting rates we're not going to get the three rate cuts if the dollar goes down suddenly more than they expect more than they can control they're going to stop the rate cuts they're going to go back even and they're going to go we're going to see a lot of continued foreign treasury bond selling here's the ugly point I'm reaching reaching a conclusion I've argued my way into the corner that I wanted to create I think the rear guard kitty the Biden show is going to want to steal not use they're not going to use it to save the treasury bond they're going to call an end of the show exit stage left because they're liberal and steal the remaining 15 trillion in the kitty mm-hmm. 15 trillion goes a long long way remember that the Ukraine extensive aid in the last 12 months has only been 200 billion that's one-fifth of a trillion and I'm thinking this kitty might have 10 to 15 trillion in it Okay, I don't think they're going to blow it on supporting the Treasury bond, but we're about to see the biggest transfer of wealth in modern history over the last 200 years when the entire globe gets rid of their Treasury bonds and converts to gold. That is what's coming. And for all you people who've been frustrated, oh, my gosh, I got to spend two of my gold coins every single month to pay for food and rent and insurance and this and that and little things and clothing when are we going to see the gold price go up I've been telling him for three or four years Patrick when the Treasury bond and the US government debt is in serious crisis mode and we're there that's where we are yeah that's where we are that's why you see 2150 recently in Shanghai and before I get to the Shanghai point um, I want to make mention something there's a guy I, I like what he says but I really don't know much about his business practices his name is Jack Ma he's just one more Chinese gentleman with a two-letter name I find that very offensive um, okay it's funny in Poland and Eastern Europe you got these long long names with 12 and 14 letters and you don't have a big population but in China you got a very big population and you got these really short names like Wu and Hu and Li and Ma okay Jack Ma said something I had I had graduate school buddies who are Chinese and Taiwanese so don't give me any shit um, one of my best friends was a guy from University of Virginia and he was Chinese um, his parents were Chinese and he moved to the East Coast when he was a little baby like two years old <clears throat> Gabriel 
I don't know what you're doing, Gabriel. Hope you're doing well. Anyway, um, he had a three-letter <laughs> Okay, Jack Ma, CEO of Alibaba, which is considered to be the Amazon equivalent in China. Yep. He said, you know, you Americans, you don't question your budget deficit. You don't question the origin of your debt. But you're, at that time, it was like $25 trillion, $26 trillion. Um, he said, but you've got a good $20 trillion in defense budgets for a 25-year period. That's not quite right. If it was $500 billion for 20 years, that would be $10 billion. Um, maybe he was talking about 40-year period. Yeah, that, that could have been it. You got a 40-year period. You got like 400 to 500 billion dollars a year in federal budget for the Pentagon, and you got close to 20 trillion dollars. What did you get for it? Your devotion to war. What have you gotten for it? And he he laid it out. He said you've made enemies out of your allies by pushing your weight around. If you're not with us, you're against us. You better do what we say. Okay, that sort of bullshit. But he said, you've destabilized nations, and, and whenever you lose your top seat, your catbird seat, he had his own way of describing it, you're going to see the downside of your heavy-handed attitudes and your warmongering. Okay, that's a big piece of our $34 trillion. Let's just say it's half. I don't know exactly. Half of our total Government debt is Pentagon. What do we get for it? And Jack Ma pointed out, you've got breakdown in your infrastructure, your highways, your bridges, your your your, your port facilities, your infrastructure with, with uh, broadband, your railways. You don't have fast railways coast to coast like China does. Oh, my gosh. I got a friend who went to Shanghai five years ago. He said, Jim, one of the most impressive sights I have ever seen in my life. It was all fast trains, and there were about 50 of them in a large stretch that covered a couple of miles, like their Grand Central Station, going to all different areas of China, fast speed, 120, 150, 180 miles an hour. We don't have that. We have Los Angeles eight-lane highways that are back-to-back -back parking lots. Okay. That's right. That's Jack Ma. All right. On to the gold market. We've had some very significant events in the last few months, I think it was in October that China backed out of the LBMA, the London Gold Market, formerly called the London Bullion Market Association. LBMA, you hear it a lot. You hear COMEX and LBMA, joined at the hip. One's British, one's American. Fine. The Chinese backed out of the LBMA. They closed down 10 banks for their association with the London gold market. Americans, they didn't even pay attention to this. My guys thought this is one of the biggest events of the decade. We have relinquished in a first step the gold price power to Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. That's basically a statement saying you're not going to uh, set the price anymore. That's exactly it. 
I, I, I put it in more complex wording. The Chinese would now have control of the gold price. They would set the price. They're not playing ball with London. London, you're now in the outhouse. You're not playing. Sit on the bench as a baseball game. You're not playing. Mm -hmm. Okay. This has never been seen before again. This Ever. was two months ago, you said? Yeah, about two months ago. It got worse. I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe late November. The LBMA made a statement. I think it was in the first week of December. London made a statement. We're not going to sell futures contracts for gold in dollar terms anymore. Wow. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, that's big. Their futures are going to be Chinese yuan. So. That is huge. That's huge. I mean, you put the two together, Patrick, and to me, it means $2,500 gold in the next few months. So okay? China really is running the table now on the gold price on a, on a global scale. It, it gets bigger. Okay. <clears throat> I've got a colleague, and he doesn't like to get too much credit. It's almost like he knows he's good, and he doesn't want the attention he says, he says to me frequently, Jim, just call it your own. But it's not my own. I have to be modest. I, I cannot say, look, I'm brilliant. I got this great forecast. Look what I said. Look what I did. Look how it happened. This is my colleague. I try to be an honest broker. Your Raj told me and our group, it's about seven of us, but four of us mainly converse every day. I don't converse as often. Um, because I'm busy. I got a lot of things going on. Eurorush said, Jim, this isn't just Shanghai taking control of the gold market. This is Shanghai taking control of the commodity market. Silver, okay. uh -huh. industrial metals, oil. Okay. Do we not have a giant, they called it the Holy Grail. A giant contract with China and Russia, where China buys Russian oil, where do you think it's settled? Shanghai. What does China, what does Russia do with their yuan that they receive for Russian oil sales to China? They go to Shanghai and they convert it to gold. Russia is essentially selling oil to China and being paid indirectly with gold. This is what the, what do you call it, the, the, the petro yuan. Okay, Americans don't pay attention to these things. Sorry for yelling. That's okay. <clears throat> That's all right. I'm taking notes here. This Chinese I'm excited. in Shanghai five years ago began a three-way futures contract trading pit oil with yuan and gold with yuan so therefore it was a requirement by the Russians will sell you 10 years worth 230 billion dollars worth of oil we'll build the pipeline Russia said but you've got to create the Shanghai market for converting the oil to yuan to gold 
and they've got a bank called Suburbank, S-B-E-R, Suburbank. It's strange, hard to pronounce, S-B-E-R. But the Russians have a bank in Beijing, and it helps to manage the process. <clears throat> I'm sure they got a branch in Shanghai. Shanghai is their New York City. By the way, Shanghai, they kept years and years ago annexing more and more little cities, and it became one of the largest cities by landmass in the world. It's like 25 million people okay, in Shanghai. And, and I don't want to get diverted on Shanghai because it, it had a big battle in a year ago where they tried to cut off bank accounts and credit systems and starvation and a lot of different issues. There was a battle between Beijing and Shanghai. The Can central – go ahead. I just want to ask a, 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 a question just to make sure I understand. So – was China backing out of the uh, the LBMA? Was that part of the deal with Russia? No, no, that's five years later. Okay, so this was just something that <laughs> I think part it's of the maturity. BRICS. I think it's BRICS related. Okay. BRICS, with you know China, Russia, and, and now increasingly Persia, Iran. Um, Persia's got a role. They they've been told, look. Bring peace to the Persian Gulf. Just close down the Yemen war. End your hostility with Saudi. Make friends with all the Saudi other monarchies. And let's get going with progress because we want them all to be BRICS. Now, if you're China and you've got a major table seat in London for the, the gold market, the LBMA, and you're trying to advance the BRICS, the first order of business is to cut off England. Cut off London. So they're trying to consolidate commodity pricing and not just gold, Patrick. It's uh, going to be Persian oil paid in Shanghai. It's going to be Saudi oil paid in Shanghai. They've already made deals with Persia. It was three or four or five years ago, complete Chinese yuan sales with China. And it was only like eight or nine months ago, the Saudis said, we'll take Chinese yuan for oil sales. And, you know, when Saudi does something like that, or policy change, it's all of OPEC. So Qatar, Oman, UAE, Kuwait, they're all doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is why China broke ranks with London. To consolidate gold, oil, it, 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 it's just broaden it. Precious metals and energy. It's gold and silver. It's oil and gas. It's LNG. They're consolidating pricing power in Shanghai for BRICS unity. I'm wondering why they just did this recently and why China, why it took them this long to, to, to back away from the LBMA. Why didn't they do this years ago? Could it be they, Gaza? Were they not at a, at a place yet with BRICS where they were ready to make that move? Did, did BRICS Could it have be Gaza? What do you mean? They did it after Gaza. Right. So they were waiting for that? No, 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 no. They responded to Gaza. Oh, I see. In response to it. Okay. 
the BRICS didn't plan Gaza. Right. They're reacting to Gaza. So this was a so this move by China to back away from the LBMA was a reaction to Gaza, is what you're saying? I believe so. Okay. All right. I was just curious on that. Well, so you're talking about twenty five hundred dollar gold in the next few months? It, it's very possible. Wow. I don't put timelines on it. I just say that the, the door is open now. Hmm. The obstacles are cleared. London is not going to get in the way. They can't. I've been following for three months now. I call it the Delta. It's the difference between Comex gold, U.S. control, and Shanghai gold. In early November, it got as high as $115. Shanghai was $115 higher than Comex United States. Comex is Chicago and New York. I made a forecast about a year ago that China would eventually take control of the gold price and the BRICS would see like 15 different decentralized multi-node locations, each of which would have a gold price. I'll just rattle off some of them. Singapore would have a gold price. Shanghai, Sydney, Australia would have a gold price. Moscow would have a gold price. Shanghai, Johannesburg, South Africa would have a gold price. Bangkok, Thailand would have a gold price. Geneva would have a gold price. Toronto would have a gold price. Okay, decentralized gold pricing. I made a forecast 10, 12 months ago that eventually you're going to see Shanghai lead the way and a lot of the different international gold prices would be notably and maybe significantly higher than COMEX. And that's when the COMEX would shut down because they don't have any metal and they got the wrong price. That combination is fatal. Yeah, I would think so. Wow. I made a I made a weird, you know, like men's room forecast a couple months ago that the COMEX is going to shut down for a spurious reason, like electricity is cut off. Yeah, what? Um, yeah. And they could blame it on Russian hacking. So the, what's the cover story going to be? They're probably right. uh, they probably cooked it up. Well, it, it wouldn't be if they didn't pay their bill. Uh, maybe sabotage, maybe hacking, uh, blaming the Russians for things that Langley does is now a sport. Okay, there's another possible, and this is more scatological, but pardon me. They might say that they got back up and a lot of fecal overflow in the men's rooms. <laughs> and for health reasons, I mean, they've been full of shit for a long time, let's face it. Yeah. Um, so they're shutting COMEX down either for electricity reasons or for um, sanitation reasons. I don't know. I don't care. But when they become on the wrong side of the pricing and they don't have sufficient metal, they're going to have to shut down. And what they might also come up with is we're at the end of our lease and we're not renewing our lease. Well, why, why not? And the reason is we don't control the gold price anymore. We're out of business.
Okay? And silver is very dear to the Chinese. They built a silver stockpile for their industry. They did that in 2001, 2, and 3. And they made an announcement that very few people really latched on to. They made an announcement around October, that China did, that they have now replenished their silver stockpile. And they said it indirectly. They said they, they don't feel any great urge. They don't have any urgency for buying silver. Well, that would mean that you've supplied, replenished your stockpile. Okay, this is not complicated. Don't make it complicated. They don't speak directly. Nobody does. The United States is not going to say at the Fed, we face a Treasury bond default risk, so we're lowering rates. No. No, no. They don't talk that way. Honest. No, about the confidence game. Yes. Honest, competent newsletter writers talk that way. Um, and that's how they use the mockingbird media to to gaslight the public. They come out with their confidence game, and then the media works yeah. it back out to the public, and that's that's the ignorance that we see. Okay, something time. has happened with this delta. Remember, the delta is how much higher is Shanghai gold compared to Comex gold? Well, it's only twenty bucks now, twenty five bucks. I got a guy every several days, or when I ask, he'll do a calculation. It's not all that simple because. They're 12 hours apart, okay? So our midnight is their noon, and they're busy. When they close, we're about to open, okay? Okay, but I don't care whether it's when they're still open. I don't care. I just want a flash, and it's about 25 bucks now. A few days ago, it was 50. So we're either going to see a growing disparity in the form of that delta, or we're going to see a shrinking of the delta, which means the comics gold price is rising. I want to see the latter. I want to see Shanghai push it up to 2200. I want to see the delta back to 70. And then I want to see comics rise. I don't want to see Shanghai drop. They did it. An assault. I think I think the the globalists, the cabal, the Wall Street gangsters, U.S. U.K. banker gangsters. I think they did an assault in early November, and 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 knocked down the gold price in Shanghai by seventy or eighty dollars in a few day period. And I think they really pissed off the Chinese. They probably did. I believe as a result, Chinese said, no, it's time for you to raise your gold price in the COMEX. And that means the delta is going to come down. We may never see a 250 delta because that would mean the COMEX is so far gone, lost, low, that they're going to ruin their own credibility. So the way to think of it, Patrick, is the COMEX is going to be dragged kicking and screaming by the lead dog of Shanghai in the gold price. And, and it's just going to be a couple months delay for silver. 
Silver is really waiting for the monetary system to arrive so the business contracts can come into play and, and new energy systems become known and big, big silver um, demand comes and then we're going to jump past 30 and as soon as we jump past 30, it's going to be like a week, 10 days, we're going to be at 50. I'd rather not focus much on silver, uh, but I did read recently that Mexico is seeing a silver decline in output. That means higher price. Absolutely. If you think by June we're going to be under 30 for silver, I would not put even odds on that. I would think that's a very bad bet. In other words, by June, I think we're over 30. If we're over 30, we're going to be at 50 quick. I mean lightning quick. I'd rather not talk about silver. I just wanted to ma mention those main points. Okay. okay. All right. Um, we're, we're seeing now a wrestling match. I I'd like to close with a couple of basic comments. We're on now for an hour five. Um, basic comments about Gaza and Suez Canal. All right. Uh, I know this can never be put in three-minute synopsis. But I'm going to try, and you just got to sign up for the Hattrick newsletter, Golden Hyphen Jackass, to get the rest of it. Um, I have a few different places where I learn. I have a couple of colleagues who are all over this. Ukraine came to an end. There is no future war in Ukraine. There's not going to be a lot of weapons. There's not going to be a lot of funding. There's not going to be a lot of soldiers unless you consider a 45-year-old woman or a 45-year-old man who've never had any weapons training. They're called, they're called meat, meat raids. They're sent to, to rush the Russian line, and they're almost all killed. Um, there was, as of late October, no, as of end of September, there was no more expected Ukraine funding. So they started a new war. It includes the most blatant and obvious genocide that we've seen in a century. I don't want to get into biblical interpretations because it's not my strong area. I just have a difficult time seeing innocent people slaughtered by the Israeli military. They're not being called, they're being called, they're not even given the label of human. Okay, so the point, I stick with the money. With the new Israeli war, the United States was obligated to assist with weapons, uh, armament, meaning like ships nearby, and funding. And they combined it with the Ukraine-Israeli funding bill. So Ukraine still gets some money that will be, I think, largely siphoned off for the Davos Uber lords who lost their money laundering a year ago in Ukraine. There is a, a hidden, it's not so much hidden as it is not so well publicized. Egypt and the Suez Canal are now in focus. It took a few weeks 
but the the Gaza attacks were largely false flag, meaning Israel attacked itself. They blamed it on Hamas and they blamed it on Hezbollah, which is the Persian Iranian ad hoc military. And attention finally was given to the Ben Gurion planned canal to compete against the Suez. Well, you know, golly, talk about shooting yourself in the foot and the groin. Um, I mean, with a shotgun, not with a little 22. Um, the Ben Gurion Canal will not be functioning for at least five to seven years, maybe 10. So that's maybe the period of time that the Suez will not be available. The Suez Canal is off limits. And the little banditos out there are Houthi tribes from Yemen and probably supplied by Iran. No question about that. And the Saudis are imploring the United States not to make it a big war and not to fight back against the Yemen Houthis, the Saudis. Let that sink in because there's been a five-year war the Yemen War, which was Saudi versus Iran, fought in Yemen mm -hmm. to control the Aden Sea, mm -hmm. which is the port, not the port, but it's the channel up into the Red Sea for the Suez Canal. Now we have pretty much, in effect, a Western ship ban for the Suez. The result is they're going around... Africa, Cape Horn, and the annual expense is half a million barrels of oil per year. Annual expense. Wow. That's not a minor amount in the global oil market. Yeah. But the Rockefellers will not mind. They'll get a higher oil price. The Saudis are managing the oil price, oil price by lowering and raising the oil output. They're taking orders from Russia. There's a new term called GROPEC. I only understand what the R is for ROPEC. That's Russian, OPEC. Sometimes called OPEC plus. But can you guess what the G stands for in GROPEC? I, I don't know. It's not Venezuela, not Nigeria. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, you got me uh, there. Anyway, I've heard that term. That acronym, but the Russian OPEC is setting the oil, oil price. We've got a standoff. Okay, Tom Luongo wrote a really good article, and he he cited something that Martin Armstrong brought up a month ago. It's called the Thucydides trap. Thucydides, T H. U-D-Y-C-I-D-I-S, I think. Thucydides trap. Okay. That's an, an ancient Greek. Yeah. I don't know. Probably just an elite thinker. I don't know that he was a philosopher. But here's what the Thucydides trap is. If you've got superiority with an old guard bully, you pick a fight with him that he cannot refuse. 
And after he engages in the fight, he proves that he's not the best anymore. That's what we've got with the Suez Canal standoff and ban for Western shipping. They're attacking, that is, the Houthis. Now, the Houthis are at arm's length from the Persians. The Persians can say, oh, the Houthis are getting funding from all kinds of different sources. When the main source might be Persia. But they got arm's length. So the Houthis are these banditos who are firing upon oil tankers, container vessels, and other shipping before they enter the Suez Canal. So they turn around and go around South Africa with an extra, I think it's 5,000 miles. That, that's why they built the Suez Canal, to avoid going around Cape Horn that's right. in Africa. Okay. The standoff, <clears throat> the United States will not resist the opportunity to attack the Houthis of Yemen. And then you're going to be left with Egypt making a decision. Do we allow an American tanker? Do we allow a, a Norwegian registered, a Danish registered? Do we allow a British vessel to go through the Suez Canal? The Egyptians are now at the center. And, you know, if you take a look at the financial press, you don't see Egypt mentioned much. You see the canal, shipping issues, insurance issues. Insurance got cut off for the Suez Canal shipping. It's not mentioning Egypt. Egypt got an offer several months ago that the Chinese would cover their IMF debt. So Egypt could cut the cord with the IMF and the Western banker cartel. That was barely in the news. What we're seeing now is Egypt is in the BRICS. Mm. Now, Argentina might have backed out of the BRICS after the new president got elected. And I don't want to open up a whole new door there. But Egypt is now showing their BRICS loyalty by allowing the Houthis to get in the way of their canal. And remember, if a ship does not go through the Suez, Egypt does not get the revenue. So Egypt is sacrificing revenue by going along with all this, and the Saudis are saying, don't stop it, which is incredible. What it means is Saudi is hooked at the hip with Persia, Iran. This is huge. It's historic, it really. It does not address the gold issue. What it addresses is, will BRICS prevail at the expense of the Treasury bond? If the BRICS prevail, then they're going to be dumping Treasury bonds. They're going to be going to a gold foundation. They're going to set up their reserves for a gold token. They're going to use other methods of payment. Might be direct gold shipments quarterly, net basis. They could be using Shanghai to quietly convert oil to gold. But 
the loser would be the treasury bond. Because if the BRICs prevail, they're going to dump treasury bonds in a very big way, in an accelerated way. We covered that in the first quarter, the first half. Okay. Suez, I believe, will bring about the prevailing policy of the BRICs at the expense of the treasury bonds, which will then be dumped, and then the fall-on effect dump treasuries by gold. So Suez will bring down the treasuries and the treasuries will lift gold. This is how it's going to happen. Oh, it sounds this, like a, a Red Sea moment. Perhaps that could have been in the reference there. You, I don't think we're going to see the Red Sea waters divide, but in a sense, in a sense, we're going to see the Red Sea divide the bricks from the treasury bond followers the, the it's going to be symbolic mm -hmm. and uh it's exciting but if the united states does not relent we're facing a depression in the united states i believe what's going to happen is the forces will be incredible for this Suez treasure bond gold domino effect to end the Biden show. And notice that we're getting more and more information about Biden treason, about Biden information with his son Hunter, with Biden and Chinese contracts. And increasingly in the last couple of weeks, the technology behind masks and I think it was Hannity and Combs, Hannity and Holmes. I don't remember the second part. Hannity and – is it Combs? Um, Alan Combs, the guy he used to do the show with years ago. Is that who you're talking about? Han the Hannity show maybe? Okay. I, I don't know the exact name of the show with Hannity on it. Hannity is talking about Biden having a face mask. This is incredible. We're getting really close to dismissing Biden for not being Biden. You cannot be a fake president. You cannot be a masked. I call it resident. I've never called him president. I call him resident Biden. I never call it Biden administration. I call it the Biden show. Absolutely. Well, I just call him fake Biden, but I'm, I'm in 100 percent agreement with you. So why don't we why don't we tie this together with one final question? How does this how does all this uh coincide with this planned election in 2024 what do you think happens i started saying back in november i don't think we can get to june without a treasury bond collapse they've lowered rates to prevent a treasury bond collapse and now they're having a dollar risk um I think we're going to have a credit crisis for funding the U.S. government. We're probably going to have a threat of shutdown. We're probably going to have failed bond auctions. I think we're going to have at least one big bank failure. My vote is for Bank of America. I think we're in very, very deep trouble with the Treasury bond. We're only buying time by reversing rates because we cannot reverse them much 
We're going to have to stop reversing because we're going to cause a different kind of crisis. Um, by June, we might possibly see a caretaker president. You know, like the name of Grassley, senator from Iowa, comes up. He'd be maybe adequate. He's 85 years old, and I don't think he has all of his wits together, and he does kiss a little Biden ass once in a while, but he might be given marching orders. Here's your job. We had Gerald Ford do this a long time ago. Now you're the new Gerald Ford. You're probably too young for that. That was 1974. Yeah, a little um, bit. I was... 22 years old then. I was in my prime and in college starting graduate school. Okay. My point is we're probably going to see a credit and currency crisis and banking crisis all rolled into one. Credit, currency, and banking requiring the removal of Biden. But that's not going to be easy to do unless you've got something to replace it with. And I think it could be a caretaker president assigned by the military but secretly they'll recommend somebody and the congress will go with it because they'll be on orders to go with it what am i leading to an early election before november let's just say this all happens in april the crisis is out of hand they come in and in may they assign someone like Grassley as caretaker president, and they say, we're going to have an election in 45 days. School's out. We do the election end of June. And we have an election, and they get in the way the good guys, the, the, the military, the, the White Hats, the White Alliance, make sure that Dominion is not in the room. And let me just say that I, I've got word from a military source that we might we're not going to see dominion in the room we might possibly see the military do the vote counting because of all the different accusations of fraud and improprieties like closing closing the the, the blinds so that the observers cannot see uh, 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. blackout vote flipping in front of your face Democrat voting election officials looking the other way, Supreme Court rubber stamping. Okay, this requires a military role, and we might possibly see that. So I, I laid it out. Could be – this is very general. It could be April crisis, May caretaker president, June election, and I think if we have a fair election, Trump will win by over 30 percent. Oh, easily. Um, easily. It, it could be 40%. Yeah. I, I believe in 2020, we had the largest landslide victory in the history of the United States. Double right. anything we've ever seen, maybe four times anything we've ever seen. Now, you, you were way too young and not even born. You were a thought. Uh, it was 1960, no, 1972. Uh, Nixon, oh, shoot. Yeah, Nixon got reelected, 1972 against McGovern. Uh, it was the largest landslide. McGovern won two states. And I, I believe the landslide was something like 
nine or ten point victory. I think Trump won by 30 percent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, This is very exciting but nerve-wracking. I'm a little disoriented every single day. Uh, I I find my my center with a little devotional in the morning with a random reading in the Bible. Uh, I find beauty with watching birds. There are a lot of birds near where I live. I saw two goldfinches today. They were circling each other. I think it was kind of a a mating dance in the air. Beautiful thing to watch. Um, I tell you. It's important to step away and take those moments. I'm glad you you touched upon that because it's going to get even more insane. I mean, everything that you've talked about tonight. I mean, it it sounds to me like we're, we're teetering right on the edge right now. And we're about to just see everything cascading downward in 2024. And I think that really is the general consensus in the in the community. A lot of people have different opinions about what's going to transpire, but it seems to be almost universal from what I've seen or from what I've heard. And people are saying that we're we're really just we're we're run out of real estate here. The cabal really doesn't have too many more options and tricks that they can pull. No, like no you said, options. they're they're propping up, you know, they're they're propping up the treasury bond at the expense of the currency. I mean, there's the ESF is drying up. It doesn't seem to me like they've got many cards left to play. I don't think the ESF is drying up, but I think it's being used in an emergency measure. Okay, I got to oh, close good. this quickly though, right? If they have to keep well, trillions well, of dollars. No, a trillion every eight to ten months. That's eighty months. Well, that's not good then. That means they could probably string this they along. They could. Longer, they right? could stretch this out for a while, but. We're going to see big bank failures. We're going to see port ports that are empty in the United States. Okay, the risks are big banks. It's U.S. ports. It, it's global conflicts like the Suez. The Suez is really now bringing Long Beach to Europe. Okay. Gotcha. I invite people to go to golden-jackass.com, uh, sign up for the newsletter, make a consult order. Uh, if you're wealthy and you want to support my work, hit the sponsor button. Uh, I really love it. I fall to my knees and thank the Lord. Uh, I believe the Lord has his hand on my shoulder, keeping me going because I have been under tremendous pressure and, and tremendous, just say, damage. And uh, I keep going. Uh, I'm not exactly the energy, the what energizer buddy bunny, but I, I, I'm telling you, this is a war, and I'm at my desk every day. Um, I need support, and sign up for the newsletter. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Jim. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's an honor, really, to be able to sit back and listen to you and take notes and have these conversations. I hope everybody out there in the audience enjoyed. And certainly, I just want to. Uh, emphasize what Jim said and re-echo golden-jackass.com. There's a link in the description. That hat trick letter is the best financial intel. And really, it's not just financial intel. It goes beyond that as well. But I mean, Jim is is going to lay it out for you. Everything, all the questions that you have are going to be answered in that letter. So I highly recommend folks go check it out. Jim, great to see you again. I'll be in touch soon. Thank you, right, everybody thanks. out there for listening. God bless and Godspeed. Patriot out.